Hi, everyone. We'll have a new Deeper Dig episode after Thanksgiving. But this week, I wanted to share a recording from our new live interview series. Every Wednesday, we're going live on YouTube to talk to public health experts about different aspects of COVID-19. And we're asking them your questions. Readers have been sending us emails, comments, and voice messages that we pass on directly to these experts to try to get the answers. Last week, we talked to Chris Finley, who directs the health department's immunization program, and asked her everything readers wanted to know about the COVID-19 vaccine. Here's what she told us. Our editor, Ann Galloway, kicks things off. Thank you all for joining us. I'm Ann Galloway, the editor of VT Digger, a statewide nonprofit news organization that serves Vermont. It's my distinct pleasure tonight to introduce you to Chris Finley, the immunization chief for the Vermont Department of Health. Chris is the former deputy director of the department, and she holds a graduate degree from the Bloomberry School of Public Health. Thank you, Chris, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us for the second series of FAQ live events held by VT Digger. Thank you. <laughs> it's really nice of you to come join us. Um, we're all really concerned about a spike in coronavirus cases in Vermont. You're gonna tell us all about that, um, but it looks like good news is on the way. Moderna and Pfizer have announced that effective COVID vaccines could be available as early as December for healthcare workers. And we're gonna talk for a few minutes about the rollout of vaccinations in Vermont. And then Chris is going to answer reader questions. Um, before we get started, I'd like to thank Mike Doherty, the digital editor for VT Digger, who's behind the screen there, who's producing our live stream tonight. And thank the generous sponsor of the FAQ Live series, Garnet Health. Garnet Health provides both rapid antigen and PCR COVID-19 testing for individuals and businesses seven days a week. Garnet also offers expanded testing, including flu AB, for symptomatic clients. Schedule a test today at their new location next to Burlington International Airport by visiting www.garnet.care/testing. Now, Chris, thank you again for joining us. I wondered if you could give us an overview of where we are with the cases right now. Thank you, Anne. So, so today there were 51 new cases in Vermont and 3,161 total. But I think um, you would have had to be hiding under a rock not to realize that we're in a major surge across the nation. And each day you're seeing the headlines identifying that not only are cases starting to break records, but unfortunately also there's deaths. So um, although Vermont's numbers may pale in comparison to larger states, this is, a, this is a, a big increase for us. And one of the things that uh, I believe was noted a lot earlier this week is that if you look at the first 3000 cases reported in Vermont, it took 88 days to get the first thousand cases. It took 142 days to get the next thousand cases. And then in the last 23 days, we've had the last, the third, the third group of cases of a thousand cases. So we're seeing that it's going in a direction that we want to change. And uh, I, I know that you all are working very hard at the Department of Health to get messages out about um, all the things we've been trying to do now for more than six months, social distancing, uh, wearing masks, and right now pretty much staying at home, I think. But um, there's hope on the way, as I mentioned earlier, um, and you're in charge of the state's immunization program. I wonder if you could talk about the e efficacy of these two new vaccines by Moderna and Pfizer. I'm happy to have some good news to talk about. So let me uh, first say that 
the two new vaccines um, just this week have released data that they have from what's called phase three. And that's when, and I won't say, that's when they're in the final phase when one vaccine was tested among 44,000 people, the Pfizer vaccine, and the other, the Moderna was tested among 30,000 people. So that's important because it's looking at safety and at efficacy because the testing they did, um, either a half or two thirds received the vaccine and then the other group received a placebo. So it really allows you to compare how it worked. Um, the Pfizer vaccine, I think you saw, had 94.5% um, efficacy. Um, and both the, the Moderna vaccine, as news came out early this morning, they um, showed 95% um, efficacy also. Um, so both of these, this is a new um, platform for a vaccine. And, um, but the other important part is there aren't any safety concerns. There's been fatigue and some arm soreness and some different things, but no safety signals of that, that really are concerning anyone at this point. And so that's really important news, I think. Um, with both of these vaccines, normally when a vaccine finishes phase three and, um, it's reviewed by an independent board. The data safety monitoring board is where, where the review went and it's ready to move to the Food and Drug Administration. It usually would go for a standard approval, but the term you're hearing thrown around a lot now is emergency use authorization. And emergency use authorization is something the FDA can use when an emergency such as the pandemic has been declared and there's a new uh, treatment or a way to prevent it that can be used. And so these vaccines will initially be um, approved under what's known as an EUA. Hmm. The other piece with the vaccines that I think is important is, I know with the Moderna, they had 11 severe um, cases and they all occurred in the placebo. And um, because one of the questions I think sometimes is, is it just going to prevent mild or moderate or is it if you get the disease with it, will it prevent it from going to severe? And so that was exciting news, but very small numbers, preliminary data. Mm. Well, it's, uh, it, it seems like it's happened uh, pretty quickly. Um, they've been working on this for six months and normally it takes uh, years to develop vaccines, doesn't it? Oh, anywhere from 10 to 15 years is the norm. This vaccine, the, the, what they're using, um, this messenger RNA, the new platform, it's been described as a, a, a more simple vaccine to make. And one of the things that allowed them to move so quickly was that China provided the genetic code in January. Mm -hmm. So instead of holding anything, they had something to work with right away. I think the other part is that typically if a vaccine makes it to this phase um, where it's just going to the FDA, a manufacturer would not have started to prepare any of the vaccine to make that vaccine because it would be too costly and risky. But with the federal funding that, I mean, these manufacturers have gotten up to a billion dollars, with the federal funding, they have been producing the vaccine at the same time that phase three has been going on so that it's ready um, and so you don't have that additional delay. Oh, that's very interesting that they've really accelerated the whole process in that way. Wow. Um, well, I thought we'd uh, launch into some reader uh, questions now. 
Uh, we Patricia from Manchester and Thomas uh, have some questions for you, Chris. Hi, it's Patricia from Manchester, and um, I'm asking about uh, myself, uh, 69 years old with um, with uh, asthma, and my husband, 68 years old with COPD. Would we be in the group that would be able to get the vaccine after the first responders? I'm a 71-year-old retired male. I have diabetes. I have asthma. I have high blood pressure. Um, my lungs are in very poor shape due to having had uh, aspirin pneumonia many times so that my lung functions are not good. Uh, I want to know how I can get early on a list for vaccines. What do I have to do? Well, thank you, Thomas and Patricia, for those questions. And you are the people that we really would like to see vaccinated in the early phase. Uh, Patricia, you um, knowingly identified that we expect vaccine to be limited in the beginning. And the very first group we're looking at, let me say we're, that the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Math and the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices for the CDC have looked at and made recommendations is for um, healthcare workers. But then within that first phase, it's called 1B, that, that you might see it on something, really is looking at people with chronic disease and those that are 65 years and older. And we know that um, we wanna decrease the risk among those that get severe disease. So yes, you would be um, in one of the first groups that would be uh, healthcare workers is where I believe we'll be starting and then uh, moving on. And this gives me just a chance to say that the Vermont Department of Health has a COVID-19 vaccine advisory committee with wide representation uh, across the state, the state from different, many different groups. Um, we wanted to ensure equity, we want to ensure that we address all different professions and that they are reviewing the, the data that comes out from or the recommendations and looking at that in light of Vermont specific things to see if we need to do anything else. So hopefully um, the vaccine, it will be coming to that group right after the healthcare workers and um, hopefully soon. Thank you. Now we're gonna take a, a question from someone who didn't identify him or herself. My question is uh, about um, people who've had um, COVID-19, tested positive, uh, now test negative. Two things, should they get vaccinated or do they already have their own immunity? And secondly, um, when, then this is not a vaccine question, but a quarantine one, um, if they come into contact with somebody who has who has active COVID and tests is testing positive, um, should they quarantine and why? Um, let's go with the first question, and I just want to uh, read you a key piece here. Just one second. Remember that with this vaccine, there's a lot that isn't known, and that's I think that that um, sometimes people want things to be exact, and we're still learning so much with this that we don't always have the exactness that we need. But with regard to, and again, just one moment. So there's not enough information currently available to say um, if or for how long after infection someone's going to be protected from getting COVID. And I think you've probably heard that. 
and it's called natural immunity, but it's such a new disease that we don't know that much. The early evidence suggests that the natural immunity might not last very long, but there's studies going on to look at that. And so until we have a vaccine available, um, the, the, the ACIP um, hasn't made a recommendation and isn't going to comment on it. And so one of the things I can say is that this advisory committee is meeting on Monday to review, and those meetings are open to review the vaccines. But I think within two weeks or so, we'll have some recommendation on whether you should be vaccinated if you've had the vaccine, if you've had the disease or not. Thank you. There now, was a second question about quarantining, and it was mm -hmm. uh, if they come in contact with someone who has active COVID. Should they quarantine and why? If, if you have your own immunity already, if you think you've, you've already had it. Uh, I'm not going to get into answering that right now because <laughs> it has to do with how long ago, you know, I had some friends that showed up in June and said, hey, we're immune. And then I saw them in September and thought, huh, I don't know if I trust it. And I will defer that, but work to get you an answer and provide that back. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Okay, we're going to hear from uh, Bill from Colchester. Hi, this is Bill Thompson calling from Colchester. And my question is that if, if a, uh, let's say the vaccine is effective for 90% or whatever, but that 10% for which it's not effective, even if it's not effective, is it very apt to reduce the severity of the, uh, of the disease if it doesn't present it? Thank you. Thank you for that question, Bill. And yes, that's what the preliminary data is showing. And there was, um, some excitement in the healthcare field that I'm aware of about that indication that um, it may uh, it, it may decrease the severity of it. And that's a very important question because that's what contributes to um, the hospitalizations and in some case, the deaths. Thank you. Um, next, we're gonna hear from uh, Christina from Quichi. Hi, my name is Christina and my family. Uh, we live in Quichi, Vermont. Uh, which is in the Upper Valley on the border of New Hampshire. All of our healthcare providers are in New Hampshire. Uh, the Dartmouth-Hitchcock, very large facility. And my question is, should my family be on the lookout to be included in the New Hampshire state plan for vaccinations or somehow in Vermont, even though our providers are next door in New Hampshire? I think I have good news for you, Christina. Um, it doesn't really matter um, because We've worked with, if you normally see a healthcare provider in New Hampshire and you're seeking care there, you likely, if, if you're accessing a vaccine through a healthcare provider, that would be fine. And for those that may be coming to Vermont, both of us have universal vaccine systems for pediatrics where we provide all the vaccines for use in pediatrics. And we understand that there's people going back and forth over the border all the time, but um, Vermont, New Hampshire doesn't try and charge us for any of their vaccines. So I believe that, you know, the example I can think of is my nurse or my daughter has been a nurse at Dartmouth-Hitchcock, but has lived in Vermont. So she would probably she'd be vaccinated at Dartmouth-Hitchcock where she's a worker, even though she may live in Vermont. But the bottom line is I, we're not going to do any um, residential testing that I know of. Wow, that's, uh, that's, that's great to hear that it's so flexible. Um, I'm going to move on to some uh, reader questions, and I'm going to that we received uh, through the website, and I'm going to read them 
to you, Chris. Um, and these have to do with uh, distribution of the vaccine once it's more widely available. I think people are concerned about, first of all, you know, will the vaccine be distributed to larger states? Or are we going to be left behind? Or are people, you know, are Vermonters going to sort of get their fair share of the vaccine? And if so, how is that going to work? And uh, when might that happen? Oh, those are great questions. And that's what we're working really hard on. The vaccine will be distributed, what they're calling pro rata, based on population. We uh, anticipate that Pfizer and Moderna will submit these applications very soon and that they'll be reviewed over two weeks. It may take longer if there's questions, if there's, you know, we want to make sure, I think it's incredibly important that that FDA review process has everything that it has. Then what is being suggested, which is again, a novel concept, is that in order for them, you need the recommendation from the ACIP. So the Food and Drug Administration approves them, says they're safe and effective. But the CDC Advisory Committee is the one that says, here's who they should be used in and, and get, provide some of the specifics. And normally, a vaccine isn't distributed at all until the Advisory Committee has made recommendations and they've been published. But at this point, they're looking at actually pre-positioning some vaccines so that as soon as the advisory committee meets, the vaccine can be distributed. So Operation Warp Speed, I will say, is doing everything they can to um, expedite that. We, um, uh, we definitely expect vaccine um, and uh, on calls with CDC today and yesterday, had some indication that if both make it through, we may get a little bit, or we may get our pro rata piece of both of those. Um, and when it will be here is the million dollar question everybody wants to know. In order to be prepared, we're trying to think about the beginning of December. If it comes a little later, maybe we'll be even better prepared, but we're um, putting all um, our efforts on different, the many different areas working on this to try and prepare for the beginning of December. Thank you. That that's really it seems very soon, not that long away. <laughs> <laughs> really really soon. soon. Uh, we we uh, we also have a lot of questions about the logistics in terms of refrigeration and you know keeping the vaccine frozen. Apparently, it needs to be at negative ninety four degrees, uh, something crazy like that, for a period of time. Um, and I wondered if you could talk about that. Uh, our readers want to know you know, how can we be assured that it will have stayed at the proper temperature through its chain of custody? And, you know, are there enough freezers around the state uh, for distribution, especially at rural hospitals? So um, those are a few of the questions readers have about the, the freezer capacity and, and what that means uh, for distribution. I'm happy to go into that. So the Pfizer vaccine is what's known as an ultra cold vaccine. And you're right, negative 94 um, degrees Fahrenheit or negative 70 centigrade. Um, but it's being delivered in what's in a specific thermal shipper that allows it to stay cold and that it will have temperature monitoring devices on it. There's no way that you want to have a vaccine that's made non-viable after all this. Those, and then once we receive it, it will be put either in ultra cold um, freezers and we have a listing of where they're available in terms of hospitals here and um, the health department has one and we're borrowing some from the UVM College of Medicine, thank you, um, so that we will have um, an adequate supply. 
that vaccine can be maintained with dry ice for up to 15 days and also can be in a refrigerator for five days. So it, there's ways that you can work around it to be able to use it in both urban and rural areas. And I'm very familiar with, with Vermont and I know we've got a lot of rural isolated areas. So there's work going on. We're working with the state emergency operations committee and they actually just developed a whole vaccine depot plan for work on for really developing in, in intricate detail how those uh, distribution will go. Um, one of the other challenges with that vaccine is the minimum order is 975 doses, but mm. we've there's there's work going on on how you can um, how you can split that up, and we are uh, working on that piece. The no Moderna vaccine is a freezer vaccine, so that uh, many times places have freezers, and that, that we can work with that one. That's that's easy, and the minimum order for that is 100. I you know, depends on what gets through, but um, we're looking at scenarios where we get one, we get the other, or if we get both so that we're prepared for whatever we receive. Mm, it sounds, uh, sounds doable, if a little bit complicated. Um, there are other uh, complicated aspects of this rollout. And one of the things that you mentioned yesterday when we talked is the kind of tracking that you're going to need to do um, and you mentioned that the Agency of Digital Services is working with the Department of Health on that. And I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. So for those that may not be familiar with Vermont State Government, the Agency of Digital Services is the information technology people. There, there are the, the pros in um, getting the technology that we need. When launching something as new and different as this, we order about $16 million in vaccine and distribute it every year. So this is distributing vaccine is nothing new to, to our program, but the need on the national level to be able to understand the percent of the population that are vaccinated and where they're vaccinated and be able to, I think, understand the protection and where focus needs to be on need is that um, the Centers for Disease Control are looking for um, information on one, they have to know how many vaccine doses have been distributed and they're looking for that on a daily basis to be able to monitor supply. And so we'll be, our state provides only de-identified data and they, that's what we will provide to them. But it's um, in order for them to identify how best to allocate limited resources among the states and territories they need to have a good understanding of it. And it also may be, I'm not sure if it will impact it, it won't initially, but it may be that if you have states that are having a real difficult time with getting cases under control, that may impact it. So they basically want a national picture. And I think um, if anybody saw 60 Minutes, Colonel Perna was pretty clear on that. Oh, General. <laughs> General Perna. I apologize to all the military. <laughs> um, we talked earlier too about the resources, the financial resources that will be needed to do this. And uh, you indicated that we should be all right in Vermont in terms of what it's going to cost. Um, but I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. And that's something that's still evolving. I think, as I mentioned to you, we received um, awareness of a CDC grant um, the funding today. Um, and we knew that um, Congress had allotted some more money that would be coming to it. So there's money that the immunization program receives and there's other money that the health department has received for COVID. And um, we'll also be working with partners. The vaccine is provided for free 
ancillary kits are um, will be coming, which include the needles and syringes and some per personal protective equipment. So that is, there, there will be no cost to purchase the vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, there, I think I read that um, you may charge insurance for administration, but if a per person can't pay for it, we don't want, they don't want any barriers to being able to get this vaccine due to cost. And so there would not be a charge if, if you can't pay for it. Um, but uh, you know, I would defer to our financial office only to say uh, resources at this point haven't constrained the work that we've done. When we've said we need assistance with IT to be able to do second dose reminders for these vaccines because they're both two dose vaccines or, or we need to help with reporting, we've gotten the support that we need and it makes me happy to be in Vermont. <laughs> That's great to hear. That's really great to hear, Chris. Um, I have one more question. Uh, this is from the YouTube stream. So thank you very much, folks, for also sending your questions during the live stream. This is from Don Campbell. And she asks, my daughter has common variable immune deficiency. Thoughts on getting her this vaccine? So you're raising um, two questions. One is the question of children. And um, there hasn't been a lot of research on children with these vaccines yet. And that is an emerging part that is beginning to happen. Everybody understands the importance of that. For such a specific condition, I would say you want to talk with your whoever the specialist that you see and um, plan that out. But in the beginning, um, my understanding is these vaccines will be for adults 18 years and older since they haven't been um, evaluated on children. That's, that's very interesting to note. I, I, uh, well, it looks like we have time for one more question and uh, this is a technical one. Um, a reader wants to know, Rebecca of Dummerston wants to know, is it a live attenuated vaccine or an inactive vaccine? I'm not um, sure what that means, but hopefully you can tell us. So it is not a live attenuated vaccine. And it is, um, uh, I guess you can call it an inactive vaccine, but it's a different platform. So basically this genetic code that's in the vaccine creates, makes the body make a spike protein. And that spike protein is like a little fragment of COVID. You can't get any COVID from it, but that's enough to stimulate the immune response with it. So a very different than some of the platforms that we think of with killed vaccines usually, and definitely not a live vaccine. Hmm. Wow, okay. And, and then one more question from the same reader. How will the state prep for large scale clinics if the vaccine needs to be frozen? I know you've talked already a little bit about that, but. And thank you. I think what I didn't say is that um, right now we're working on enrolling hospitals and then we'll be working on enrolling pharmacies. And um, all states are initially distributing the vaccine through mass vaccination clinics just because there'll be limited doses and hard to reach those people. But there's also a federal program that's providing vaccine directly um, to CVS and Walgreens for use in those patients in long-term care facilities. And um, that was out two weeks ago, they needed to sign up and we had an overwhelmingly positive response. A hundred percent of our skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities signed up for that program uh, where um, those two pharmacies will come into the, the uh, facility and vaccinate people. And they'll, they'll do the second vaccine. They're gonna actually come in a total of three clinics, but you only need 
you need two doses, but they want to make sure that they catch everybody. Wow, that's that's terrific. That's, that's rolling out. What, what we're seeing is that the national program may actually enroll more pharmacies. And so this is literally changing day to day. But the the good part of that means um, the more places that we can have vaccine available, the better off we're going to be. Wow, absolutely. Well, Chris, our time is up. It's six o'clock already. That half hour went really fast. Thank you for taking the time uh, to be with us. I know you're incredibly busy and um, I'm grateful that you were able to join us tonight. And um, I'd like to thank our sponsor of the FAQ Live series, Garnet Health, which provides both rapid antigen and PCR COVID-19 testing for individuals and businesses seven days a week. Garnet also offers expanded testing, including flu AB for symptomatic clients. Schedule a test today at their new location next to Burlington International Airport by visiting www.garnet.care testing. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for joining us and uh, stay safe. And uh, we'll hope to check back with you soon. Can I say one last thing? Yes, please. <laughs> First of all, thank you for so many people for their interest. And at healthvermont.gov, there is a COVID vaccine webpage, and we will be updating that and um, trying to put up updates as soon as we get them on there so that we can keep you informed. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. Have a good night. You too. Okay. Bye. bye.